0: Good afternoon, everyone. It's believed by untold numbers of professing Christians that the law of God is a curse and that the Ten Commandments were done away by Jesus Christ. While voluntarily refraining from certain acts might be commendable, many believe and are taught in various churches that there is no real obligation for us to keep the Ten Commandments, and that would include Christians as well as others. And it's taught that the New Testament backs up this assertion, that the New Testament teaches this idea that we are not obligated to keep the Ten Commandments. For example, in commenting on Colossians 2 and verse 14, one of the popular commentaries that Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible Commentary states as follows, the law, including especially the moral law, wherein lay the chief difficulty in obeying, is abrogated to the believer as far as it was compulsory. The law, including the moral law, and by moral law they're talking about the Ten Commandments, wherein lay the chief difficulty in obeying is is abrogated to the believer as far as it was a compulsory. The same source, the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary goes on to say the Decalogue, the Decalogue is the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the representative of the law written by the hand of God is the whole law. And then they comment further concerning this, that canceled in the present case was the obligation to keep the whole law. So they say the Decalogue was the whole law and canceled in the present case was the obligation to keep the whole law, meaning any obligation to keep the Ten Commandments is canceled by Christ's sacrifice. Now, we have a detailed explanation of what Colossians chapter 2 verses 14 through 17, actually the whole chapter, is about posted on our website, cogmessenger.org. I encourage you to read that if you haven't read it, maybe review it if you have read it. It's called Where the Commandments Nailed to the Cross. Even though the idea is popular among professing Christians that the New Testament excuses us from any obligation to keep the Ten Commandments, not to mention other laws ancillary to the commandments. What does the New Testament itself actually say? Does a careful reading of the New Testament suggest that Christians are excused from any obligation to to keep the Ten Commandments? Or is perhaps the opposite true? Does the New Testament, in fact, explicitly impose upon Christians the obligation to keep the Ten Commandments? In this sermon, I want to discuss this question, and I want to show you that every one of the Ten Commandments is discussed directly in the New Testament, and every one of the Ten Commandments is shown to be a required obligation to every Christian who expects to be in the kingdom of God, an obligation for every Christian who expects to be in the kingdom of God to keep. First of all, do we know what the Ten Commandments are? I suspect that if you ask the average Christian to recite the Ten Commandments, at least not necessarily word for word as they are stated in the scriptures but even in summary form i suspect a great many probably a vast majority of people who profess to be christians would not even be able to name all 10 of the 10 commandments perhaps not even name even more than a few of them if any so we might ask ourselves could could i recite the Ten Commandments, by memory. I hope that we can because how can we really keep the commandments if we don't even know what they are? If we have no awareness as we go through our day-to-day affairs of what the commandments are, how can we really expect to keep them faithfully? So if you haven't memorized the Ten Commandments, at least in outline form, I strongly encourage you to do it as soon as possible, which ought to be really immediately. And then I encourage all of us to review them mentally, often, if not daily, at least fairly often, several times a week, so that they remain fresh in our minds. That's really what was behind the idea when God gave the commandments of putting them, posting them on the the doors and so forth because that would help remind people of what the commandments were. Now, God doesn't necessarily require us to literally post the commandments on our doorposts and walls. What he really wants us to do is have them written in our hearts and minds. And for them to be written in our hearts and minds implies that we ought to at least know what they are. And even more than that, they ought to become a part of our nature with the help of the Holy Spirit. But let's begin by rehearsing the Ten Commandments as they appear in Exodus chapter 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me, or it could be translated and would actually be a better translation you shall have no other gods besides me. That's the first commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's the second commandment. He shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day, and notice it is specified as a specific day of the week, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger, who is within your gates." For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He blessed the Sabbath day. He didn't bless some other day, but it was the Sabbath day and hallowed it, meaning that he made that day, that particular day of the week, holy. And that is the fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That's the fifth commandment. You shall not murder. Number six, you shall not commit adultery. Number seven, you shall not steal. Number eight, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number nine, and the tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So these are the Ten Commandments. If you want to put them in a a more compact form or a summary form, they would perhaps be stated as follows. First of all, number one, have no God other than the Eternal, the God of Israel. Secondly, do not make images or idols to worship, nor worship anything whatsoever other than the eternal God of heaven. Number three, do not use God's name in a careless or thoughtless manner. That's really what the Hebrew implies in the third commandment. Do do not use God's name in a careless or thoughtless manner, nor in a false or blasphemous manner. And this would include using expressions like, oh God, or my Lord, and things like that. That many people, I've heard many people, even in the church of God, use those expressions. That ought not to be done. That's violating the third commandment. Because it's using God's name in a careless or thoughtless, inappropriate manner. It's using God's name in vain. God's name is to be reverenced and respected. Number four, remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not covet another person's possessions. And it ought to be fairly easy to remember these principles, these precepts, if it shouldn't be that difficult to commit them to memory, especially in a summary form. And if we have not done that, that's something we ought to take care of as soon as possible, as I mentioned earlier. What does the New Testament, though, say about these specific commandments? Does it mention any of these commandments? And what does it say about them? Does it tell us that we are free as Christians to ignore them, neglect them, and violate them? What does it say about our obligation to keep them? Did Jesus come to do away with the commandments as many have taught? And did he come to do away with our obligation to keep those commandments? This question is actually answered in a very direct way in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5 in verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And by fulfill, he did not mean to do away with them, which he just said that he did not come to do that. Some people read this and say, aha, he he came to fulfill them. That means he fulfilled it, so we don't have to do any of these commandments. No, he said specifically, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And then he says, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now what commandments was he talking about here? Well, we just have to read a little bit further to see. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Murder is one of the Ten Commandments. Whoever murders he said, will be in danger of the judgment. This is what was said of old, he says. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Rokos shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So what he's saying is that for us, Not only as Christians, this really would apply to anybody, but what he's saying is that this law against murder is a law that encompasses not just the physical act of murdering someone, but it also encompasses the state of mind which leads people to murder another person. In other words, hatred, contempt, and condemning someone in your heart and mind to the point that you feel justified in murdering a person. Therefore, he said, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, If you've done a grievous sin against somebody, make amends, at least attempt to make amends for the wrong that you've done before you go any further because that's vital to not only having good relations with another person, but it also has to do with your relationship with God. And he said, agree with your adversary quickly. While you're on the way with him, lest your adversary Deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you would be thrown into prison. In other words, if you've done, again, a grievous wrong to someone, fess up, admit it, make amends, do what you can to straighten out the situation, and try to make peace. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. That's another one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, it's not just the act of committing adultery, but it is the thought process that leads one into that kind of behavior that is condemned by God. So what Jesus is saying is not only are the Ten Commandments obligatory, but actually goes beyond the letter of the law to tell us that we must not break those commandments even in our heart and mind, in our thoughts. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now notice what he said, if something is causing you to sin, it's better to do without that than to be cast into hell or Gehenna, the lake of fire. In other words, if you are going to continue to live in sin without repentance, the clear message here is that you're destined to be cast into hell, into the lake of fire. By the way, your eye doesn't have the capacity to cause you to sin. But Jesus later explains what actually causes people to sin, and it's not your eye or your hand or foot or any of your members. It is what goes on in your mind that causes you to sin and what you place your mind on, what what you, what you choose to look at with your eye may cause you to sin, but not the eye itself. As he goes on to say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. The message here is that we need to identify what causes us to sin and eliminate that from our lives. And it's not your eyes or your hands that cause you to sin. It is, as he explains elsewhere, what comes out of your heart. In verse 33, he said, Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So again here, adultery is condemned by Jesus Christ. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. In other words, what he's warning against is entering into a solemn oath that you do not necessarily have the power to keep, lest you make yourself a liar. And then when you say yes or no, then you should mean it. And, for example, if you say you will do something, not necessarily swearing that you will do something, but if you prompt make a promise or a commitment, you should do your best to follow through with that lest you make yourself a liar. So that is directly related to one of the Ten Commandments. In terms of the first commandment, notice what Jesus said. First commandment is that we shall worship no other god. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, you cannot serve two, two gods, you cannot make a god of money and worship faithfully the true God. That directly relates to the first commandment. And also the second commandment, notice what is said by Paul here in Acts chapter 17 when he was speaking to the Greeks in Athens, which was a city full of idols. In Acts 17 and verse 29, he said to them, therefore, since we are the offspring of God We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, what's he talking about repenting of? Well, it certainly would include idolatry, which is what he's talking about. Specifically, in this context. Now, he certainly could mean other things, but certainly included would be the second commandment, not to make idols or bow down and worship anything other than the true God. Or one wouldn't even necessarily need to bow down, but worship anything, whether you're standing up, bowing down, or whatever. Notice what we find in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 7, again relating to the commandments dealing with false worship and idolatry. Paul wrote, he was writing to a church, the church in Corinth, a city in Greece. And he said to the Christians there, he was writing to them specifically. and since it's in the Bible, he's writing to us as well. He said, do not become idolaters. Do not become idolaters, as were some of them. He's speaking of the people of Israel in the wilderness. He said, do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And they were doing this in association with idolatrous worship, eating and drinking and other activities involved in the worship of idols, the false god. And he says, do not become idolaters. He said in verse 14, of the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now, these aren't suggestions. These are commands. These are stated in an emphatic way that these things are not to be done. In other words, what he's saying is that, yes, the commandments dealing with idolatry apply to Christians. In 1 John 5, he mentions uh, actually several more commandments in the same context. In 1 John 5, John wrote, Little children, he's writing to a church, to the church, he says, Keep yourselves from idols. So, what do these statements mean? They mean that we are ob- obligated as Christians to refrain from idolatrous practices, which are violations of the Ten Commandments. Jesus said in Revelation 2 to the church in Pergamos, and these messages actually apply not just to the specific churches that were addressed, but to all of us as Christians if the things that he is speaking of are things that we are guilty of or are subject to those things applying to us, which most of it does in one way or another. But he said to the church in Pergamos, I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So here are activities that violate several of the Ten Commandments. Idolatry actually violates not only the First and Second Commandments, but could also include the Third Commandment and the the Fifth Commandment and several of the other commandments in in principle. It could actually be a violation of all the commandments in certain respects. But Jesus said, I have a few things against you, speaking to the church, people who were associated with the church, who were teaching people to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now this could be speaking literally, but it could also be speaking spiritually. Committing sexual immorality is often used to metaphorically of idolatry. For example, in Revelation, the Bible uses a woman to picture a false church which is referred to as a harlot. a Fallen woman, a woman who, who is in, indulging in sexual immorality, and it's not talking necessarily specifically about literal adultery. It's talking about a church which supposedly is committed to Jesus Christ, but which really is involved with others and worshiping other gods and and committing idolatry and so forth. And it could be both. It could, it often includes both literal sexual immorality as well as idolatry, false worship does. And so Christ goes on to say, Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, he says, or else I will come. To you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Notice that Jesus says to the Christians who are indulging in these things that violate the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, that they must repent or He Himself will fight against them. That sounds like an obligation to me. To the church of Thyatira, Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation." unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am the one who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Those are fairly plain words. He says death awaits those who persist in these Kinds of behaviors and refuse to repent. And he says, I will give you according to your works. Now, in connection with God pouring out his wrath on the sins of mankind, as is being discussed in Revelation chapter 9, we read this in Revelation 9, verse 20 God is pouring out curses on the earth, and people are dying as a result of the curses being poured out. This is right at the end, just before Christ's second coming. And despite God punishing the earth in this manner, because of its rebellion and sins, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, And idols of gold and silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. So notice here is again a reference to specific laws in the Ten Commandments having to do with idolatry. I actually heard a minister claim, this was a minister in a Church of God fellowship, that idolatry is not an issue for us today in today's world. Idolatry is not an issue for us. Because some of the fellowships in the Church of God today skirt around some of these very specific commandments in the New Testament, which condemn idolatry. But Jesus Christ says of those who are committing such practices, they did not repent of their works, and they did not repent of their murders or of their sorceries or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So here you have several of the Ten Commandments specifically referred to. And God is pouring out plagues on the earth because people are breaking these commandments. Revelation 21, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, we've been reading scriptures which condemn a number of practices. How many of the commandments have we seen specifically mentioned? And not only mentioned once, but multiple times in these scriptures. They're all from the New Testament. And notice it says, the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. That sounds like an obligation and a penalty for disobedience. If being told that you're going to be cast into the lake of fire if you break the commandments is not an obligation. I'd like to know what an obligation is. These are just some of the scriptures in the New Testament that warn us that if we persist in breaking the 10 commandments and do not repent, that we are subject to God's wrath in various ways. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the scriptures in the New Testament that warn us in such a way, but I am going to go through a few more of them. Romans 2 and verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers So Paul tells us, and here are specifically mentioned several of the commandments, such as covetousness, murder, lying, hating God, disobedient to parents, and all of these things actually, in principle, violate various of the Ten Commandments. And it says that... The righteous judgment of God is that those who practice such things are deserving of death. And this kind of behavior is becoming more and more common in our world today. The kind of world that we're living in today, a world that is spinning out of control, a world that is morally degenerate, a world that is coming apart at the seams, a world that is perilous where people live in fear of their lives more or less continually because of widespread terrorism and warfare and various other problems, this is the kind of world you get when you throw out the Ten Commandments. And it's going to get worse because people are more and more bold about rejecting the commandments of God and the values and principles taught in the Scripture in general just... Not only the, the Ten Commandments specifically, but other laws that relate to the commandments. This is what happens when churches teach that people don't really have to keep the Ten Commandments or look the other way when their members routinely and openly and flagrantly violate the commandments. Notice in Second Peter, how Peter warns in Second Peter chapter 2, about those who turn away from the truth, turn away from the principles that we find in the scriptures. He says, If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, in other words, he's talking about people who escaped the pollutions of the world through repentance and conversion, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. Now, notice he says that they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not that they continue to wallow in them, but they escape them. But if they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. The Bible talks about Christians overcoming. What is it we're supposed to overcome? We're supposed to overcome the temptation to sin. That's what we're supposed to be overcoming, among other things, but especially that. But if we are instead overcome by the pollutions of the world, it says the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Professing faith in Jesus Christ, being baptized Becoming a member of the church is not a license to sin. It is an obligation to quit sinning. He goes on to say, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow, having washed to her own wallowing in the mire. Peter mentions here, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known to turn away from the holy commandment, delivered to them, the holy commandment. Peter refers to is perhaps referring to the great commandment of the law upon which all others are based. But in the context of this warning, Peter mentions specifically some of the Ten Commandments. In verse 12 of 2 Peter 2, he says, of these who turn away, these like natural beasts made to be caught and destroyed speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who counted a pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Their spots and... Blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. So those who are openly and persistently practicing adultery and are given over to covetousness are those who can expect judgment to fall upon them. These are people who are allegedly a part of the Church of God, Christians, but who are not acting like Christians ought to act. We're warned that breaking the Ten Commandments defiles us spiritually, rendering us unclean in the sight of God. In Matthew 15 and verse 18, Jesus said, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. Earlier we were discussing what causes one to sin. Here Jesus clearly tells us that the place where sin originates is in the human heart. They come from the heart and they defile a man for out of the heart, he said, proceed evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. What we need to get rid of are our evil thoughts, which we all have because we have human nature. And we need to suppress evil thoughts. We need to suppress urges that originate in our hearts and minds that are in violation of God's laws. Things that lead to murder, adultery, fornication, stealing, lying, blaspheming God. These are things specifically mentioned by Christ here. And he says that these activities, these acts, and even these evil thoughts defile a man, render him unclean in the sight of God. Jesus labels as hypocrites, those who reject the commandments of God in favor of their own traditions as was commonly done in his age and as is commonly done in our age today. Things really haven't changed much. The traditions may have changed in certain cases, but the idea of people rejecting God's commandments, in favor of their own ideas and traditions, hasn't changed at all. In Mark 7, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Yes, they claimed to be worshiping God, but they were worshiping him him in vain because they were not obeying his commandments. They were following their own traditions instead. He goes on to say, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do he said to them all too well you reject the commandment of god that you may keep your own tradition for moses said honor your father and your mother now where does it say honor your father and mother it's one of the 10 commandments and said he who curses father or mother let him be put to death but you say if a man says to his father or mother whatever is profit whatever profit you might have, had, have received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. So Jesus condemns his hypocrisy, laying aside God's commandments, and he specifically mentions here in this example the commandment to honor one's father and mother. But he labels this hypocrisy, laying aside God's commandments to keep your own traditions and claiming to worship God. James warns that we are judged by what he refers to as the royal law, which includes the Ten Commandments, two of which he specifically mentions. Here in James chapter 2, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice what he says, is the royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, he's writing to Christians, but he says that you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point He is guilty of all for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now what laws, what set of laws is it that says do not commit adultery and do not murder? Well, it's the Ten Commandments. And he's using this as an example. He says if you stumble in even one point, you're really guilty of breaking all of them. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do not but you do murder you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. We're being judged by the 10 commandments and other laws that we find in the word of God. There is no truth in the suggestion that Christians are not obligated to keep these laws. We're being judged by them. The royal law, as I mentioned, he defined as you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he mentions adultery and murder as two examples of how that royal law might be violated. Jesus said, When asked the question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Ten Commandments are founded upon these two principles. Love toward God and love toward neighbor. And they tell us in specific terms how to implement these two great principles in our lives. They tell us how we are to love God in specific ways and how we are to love our neighbors in specific ways. Paul explains this further in Romans 13, verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, and notice he hasn't named them all, but he just includes them all by saying any, if there's any other commandment, which we know there are, we know there are ten commandments, and then others besides that, which are directly ancillary to the Ten Commandments, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law, or as the Greek actually reads, the fulfilling of the law is love. Love is defined by fulfilling the law. We love God through keeping the commandments. We love our neighbors through obeying the commandments. And not just in the letter, but in the heart, from the heart. Keeping the commandments is directly associated with love toward God and love toward neighbor throughout the Bible. And there are many scriptures in the New Testament which specifically mention this. For example, Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. In John 14, verse 21, he said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or reveal myself to him. Did you know that God will reveal himself to you? If you follow his instructions in making it possible for that to happen, or let's say, setting up the pathway for that to be done in your life. A lot of people doubt God, they don't believe in God, they really know nothing about God. There are others who profess that they would like to know more about God. The Bible tells you how that can happen in your life. If you love Jesus Christ, and obey His commandments; He will reveal Himself to you in ways that perhaps you cannot imagine. In First John five, and verse one, Jesus said, "Whoever believes that Jesus is or John uh, John wrote Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him." By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and to keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Notice that, again, love is defined by keeping the commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, as has often been claimed, that the commandments are just too difficult to keep. What's so difficult about not stealing what belongs to somebody else? What's so difficult about telling the truth instead of lying to people? What's so difficult about being faithful to the person you're married to? Sometimes those things can be difficult, but they don't have to be that difficult if we commit ourselves to doing the right thing. And we can do it with the help of God. We can't do it through our own strength and through our own just relying on human nature because human nature is hostile against God and His laws. But we can keep God's commandments with His help. And if we make that commitment and strive to do the right thing, God will give us the help we need to overcome. John went on to say, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, in the first verse, he said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. In verse 4, he says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What this tells us is that genuine faith in Christ is an active faith which gives you the necessary wherewithal to overcome sin. It's not just a mere intellectual belief that Jesus is Christ, it is a deep abiding faith that Christ is indeed, that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the God of the universe, and that you are committed to yielding to him and obeying him, putting him first in your, in your life, loving him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and doing what he tells you to do. That's how you overcome. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, our faith overcomes, if we have godly faith. Who is he, John asks, who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The question is, do you really believe it or do you just claim to believe it? Is it a deeply held conviction that stirs you to action? that impels you to overcome with the help of God's Spirit. And that means obeying the commandments. In commenting on this statement, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, the illustrated New Testament says the meaning is, whoever truly and from his heart receives Jesus as as his Redeemer and obeys him as such is born of God. That is, this new spirit of mind is formed in Him by divine power. And in Barnes notes, we find this statement, It cannot be supposed that a mere intellectual acknowledgment of the proposition that Jesus is the Messiah is all that is meant, meant. for that is not the proper meaning of the word believe in the Scriptures. That word in its just sense implies that the truth which is believed should make its fair and legitimate impression on the mind or that we, we should feel and act as if it were true. In other words, if you really believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're going to be acting on that belief. And that's what real godly faith is. It's not just thinking that something is true. It is acting on what you believe. Second John verse 6 says, This is love that we walk according to His commandments. Again, we see love defined as walking according to the commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. 1 John 2 and verse 3, John said, By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. How can you know if you actually know God? Well, if you're keeping God's commandments then you can be confident that you know God. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word. Truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And Jesus lived a perfect life. Now, None of us is going to live a perfect life, or at least that's not likely we're going to. We haven't so far, but that's what we should be striving to do. And we can get closer and closer to it as time goes by if we act on our faith, because God will strengthen us through His Spirit to do what He wants us to do, that's obey His commandments. In the New Testament, we read that there are many positive benefits that accrue to us as we strive to live according to the commandments. That's why God wants us to obey them, because there are benefits. There are blessings to be had from keeping the commandments, not only to us, but to other people and even to God. And on the other hand, Disobeying the commandments only brings sorrow and misery and unhappiness and curses. What are you doing if you steal from somebody else, if you steal things that belong to that person? Is that helping that person to have a happier, better life? If you commit adultery with somebody else's wife, is that helping that family to grow and prosper and be happy? If you lie to someone and deceive them and mislead them and defraud them, how is that helping another person? How is that making the world a more peaceful, loving place? In Matthew 19, verse 15, or verse 16, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? There are a lot of preachers who would say, well, you don't need to do anything. Christ has done it for you. You don't have to do anything to have eternal life. Is that what Jesus said? No, Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. But wouldn't that be earning your salvation? Some might Say, some would allege that if you try to keep the commandments, you're trying to earn your salvation. Salvation is not something you can earn, no matter what you do. What you can earn, though, by not keeping the commandments is a one-way ticket to the lake of fire. Keeping the commandments is simply a, a condition that God requires you to meet in order to have eternal life given to you as a gift. The young man said to Jesus, which ones? In other words, which commandments? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. In other words, the Ten Commandments all summed up in the royal commandment, and other laws that fall under that same purview. The commandments we find written in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and throughout the New Testament. If you want to have eternal life, you've got to start keeping those commandments. Repent of your sins and strive to obey God. Ephesians 6, Paul wrote, Children, obey Your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. This was written to Christians, and Paul tells them they are obligated to keep this commandment, even children. Yes, children can learn to obey the commandments. And Paul specifically says, Children, obey your parents. Don't think that children are exempt from keeping the commandments. We ought to be teaching our children to keep the commandments. And that will help them. That will help them live better lives, happier lives, as they grow up. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. goes on to quote the scripture, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Children who obey their parents are more likely to survive to adulthood and to live even longer lives because they've learned to avoid a lot of things that lead to to an early death, such as drug addiction and illegitimate pregnancies and run-ins with the law, criminal activity, and so forth. In 1 John 3 and verse 21, John wrote, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments. Do you want your prayers to be answered? If you do, keep the commandments. It says, whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandments. Now, He who keeps His commandments... Abides in him and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit, whom or which, as it should be translated, he has given us. In other words, if we're keeping the commandments, then we can be assured that God is abiding in us and we in him, that that we have the, the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Some in the church from time to time wonder, do I really have the Holy Spirit? Well, ask yourself, are you obeying the commandments? If you are, then you have the Holy Spirit. If you're not, then commit yourself to obeying them, and God will grant you His Spirit. Revelation 22 and verse 14 we read, blessed are those who do his commandments. We're talking here about benefits that accrue to us from obeying the commandments that are discussed in the various places in the New Testament. And by the way, these scriptures are not exhaustive. There are many more scriptures like them. We're just reading some of them. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city, the New Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about here. But outside, outside the New Jerusalem, outside the dwelling place of God, are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. And in the end, they won't be outside doing these things, they will be dead, they will be ashes. So again, we're told, in effect, that if we expect to have the gift of eternal life in the end, if we expect to be in the resurrection to life, then we have to practice obedience to the commandments of God. And again, we're not going to do this perfectly, necessarily, we, we need to strive to do it perfectly, but we will sin and make mistakes occasionally because of our human nature, very likely. But when that happens, we need to repent. God will forgive you if you genuinely repent and continue to strive to obey and live by His commandments. Included in God's commandments is the command to keep the holy holy. Or keep holy the Sabbath day, which is specifically defined not as the first day of the week, not the second day, not the third, fourth, fifth, or sixth day, but the seventh day of the week. And sometimes people say, well, how do do we know what's the seventh day of the week, which is not really that hard to figure out. I mean, how serious is that question? That's, That's what I've got to to consider when somebody when asked that question, just how serious a question is that? Because it shouldn't be that difficult to figure out which day is the seventh day. Because the Jews have been keeping the Sabbath day for thousands of years, week in and week out. And The Church of God has been keeping the Sabbath day ever since the Church of God came into existence, the New Testament Church. The true Church has been in existence since that time and in places around the world, that Church has been keeping the Sabbath. And even churches that do not keep the seventh day do not... Let's say they keep Sunday, which most of them do. They don't say that's the seventh day. I don't know of any, any church that keeps Sunday that claims that Sunday is the seventh day of the week. They, they, they readily admit that's the first day of the week. So it doesn't take much research to figure out which day is the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. That knowledge is not being lost but that's the day that God made holy. He didn't make any other day holy but the seventh day of the week. Is that commandment abolished in the New Testament? Many claim that it is, but actually quite the opposite is the truth. The Sabbath is confirmed in a number of scriptures in the New Testament. And in fact, the Sabbath... Commandment is specifically mentioned more than any single other of the Ten Commandments. It's specifically mentioned more often in the New Testament than any of the others. And there are several scriptures, a number of scriptures I could turn to, to show where the Sabbath is confirmed in the New Testament. But one in particular I will briefly discuss is in Hebrews 4, where Paul shows that the Sabbath is a type of spiritual salvation and a millennial rest. In other words, the kingdom of God. And he confirms that the keeping of the Sabbath remains for the people of God. In Hebrews 4 and verse 9, it says, Consequently, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. This is from the New English translation. Consequently, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. The same verse, verse 9 of Hebrews 4 in the Darby translation says, there remains then a sabbatism to the people of God. There remains a sabbatism. If you look up sabbatism in the dictionary, as I have, it's defined as keep the Sabbath. The Greek word is sabbatismos, which means a Sabbath rest or Sabbath keeping. So, Paul clearly states that to the people of God, Sabbath keeping remains, very specifically. And he also discusses a great deal about what the Sabbath pictures and symbolizes from a prophetic standpoint. According to Scripture, the saints, that is, those who are sanctified, By God's Holy Spirit is what the word saint means in the Bible. Those who are sanctified by the Spirit of God and who are empowered by God's Spirit to overcome the flesh, we're told that those individuals keep the commandments. In Revelation 14, verse 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. Notice, the patience of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We cannot keep the commandments through our own power, but we can keep them through the faith of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And as Christians, we have an obligation stated many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, an obligation, a requirement that is laid upon our shoulders by God Himself as a condition for receiving the gift of eternal life to obey the commandments. When we stumble, we must repent, but we must understand that we are under an obligation stated throughout Scripture, if we expect to have eternal life, to strive diligently and faithfully to obey the Ten Commandments and all other of God's commandments that are applicable to us.